0: Hello everybody, I am Jason Trader, I am the Prince of Wessex, and today I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to have a marriage covenant with God. So put on your uh, wedding bands, we're about to remarry the father, and discuss what our vows are and what we're going to do. So thank you for joining us at the Art of Being, the podcast and let's get into it. So first thing I have to talk about, let's, let's go over this, this covenant, right? What this, this covenant is. So everybody here, you know, I assume most of the people that listen to this have some understanding of, of biblical uh, terms. But the covenant uh, basically is what we have between us and God. This uh, basically this deal, right? Here's this deal, right? It's likened unto a marriage, like when you get into a marriage, you take certain vows and you, uh, profess those vows. And if those vows are broken or there's strife or, or, or troubles come and the person is not doing or holding up their end of the bargain, it can lead to struggles and it can lead to divorce. And that is exactly what happened with the children of Israel, uh, with their covenant with God. So in Exodus 19 and five, it says, now, therefore, If you will obey my voice, this is uh, Elohim talking. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Right? So we see that in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, God tells his people, basically, if you keep this covenant, then you're going to be a treasure. And you'll be blessed and you'll be, and and there's a whole bunch of, in Deuteronomy, there's there's a chapter, right, of just blessings that come. If they kept, the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, if they kept the covenant, there would be a blessing. But they did not keep the covenant, right? They, they profaned the covenant and were divorced. And once they were divorced, Yahshua had to show up back on the scene and renew the covenant. He had to say, hey, we got to do this thing now over again and renew this thing. Because it was violated by your fathers, and I'm going to establish this, this uh, we like to call it the new covenant, but what it really is, is it's renewed. It's the same thing when you look at the moon, right? Like, there's a phase of the moon called a new moon. We understand that the moon is the same moon that it has been since the existence of earth, that the same moon is the same moon, but we call it a new moon because it has been renewed. It is in a position where it's about to be be begin its 30 day cycle, and so it's new, but not new as in a new moon, it's new as in it has been renewed and is restarting the cycle over. That's the same concept of the covenant when Yeshua came down and died, he renewed that covenant. It's not this, it's not a new moon, it's not a new thing, it's the same thing that has been renewed once again. And it says, let's go further and and, and talk a little bit about uh, this. So it says in Ezekiel 16 and 8, Now when I pass by thee, and I look upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and I covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith, Yahuwah our Elohim, and thou becamest mine. So when... Israel, right, went to Mount, they were the Hebrew people were freed from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They went to the top of Mount Sinai and Moses went up and he wrote some books, right? He came down with some tablets of stone that contained the Torah. And he said, God, as in he, said that this is my covenant and I made you mine. I I made you my people based off of this covenant and we know that the covenant that god made is equal to the book of the law and the book of the law is equal to the covenant so the covenant is the torah which is the books of the law we can find evidence of this right so in exodus 24 and 27 uh moses tells the people right he's like then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said all that yahuwah has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So God gives this covenant to the people, and the people say, we agree, right? It's like when you get married, you say, hey, I say my vows, you say your vows, and then we both say I do, and we agree to enter this marriage based off of our the terms that we have laid forth, and that's exactly what's happening with this covenant, Now, later on, this Book of the Covenant that was read, some people will say that it only encapsulates uh, Exodus 20 through 23, which happened directly before the verse I just read in Exodus 24 and 7. And they'll say that that's what the Book of the Covenant is. It's just that. But we know from an Israelite perspective that was not true. And I can prove that uh, when we look at 2 Kings 22 and 8, Hilkiah, the priest, the priest, he said, it says, I have, he went to one of his dudes, a scribe, and he said, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahuwah. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphin, or however you say that name, and he read it. So these priests are hanging out in the old temple. Israel's not really been practicing. They're not keeping the law. And they find this book and they read it. And they're like, oh, snap, this is the covenant. This is, these are our marriage vows. And they read these things. And they take it, so in Second Kings 23 and 2, they take this book that they refer to as the book of the law to the king. And it says in the Second uh, Kings 23 and 2, it says, And the king went up into the house of Yahuwah and all the men of Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of Yahuwah. So we see here that from a Hebrew perspective, earlier the the uh, high priest, he calls it the book of the law, and then later on they call that very same book the book of the covenant. So we know the book of the covenant is not just only three chapters in Exodus from 20 to 23, because the book of the law, which is referring to the whole Torah or you know, that's, that's what that, in, in Exodus 22 and 8, that's what it says, the book of the law, it says the Torah, right? That's, that's the, tr- the Hebrew translation, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And then in the same vein, they use that interchangeably as the book of the covenant. So the book of the covenant is the book of the law. It's not just a small portion of Exodus, it was its own book. And if you look at it from a practical perspective, how they used scrolls, they didn't just have a scroll that only contained Exodus 20 through 23 that they read to the people. They had the Torah scrolls that they read to the people. So practically speaking, they didn't just have this random scroll that only had Exodus. And later on, we took that random scroll and inserted it into the rest of the Torah and then called it one thing. And it was separate in their mind. That's not the case. It was always one thing in their mind. We, we find that there in Kings. And like I said, if you look at it practically then how did we get the whole book of Exodus if part of that book was a separate book the whole time? It it really doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it was always just one whole book. The book of the law and the book of the covenant are the same thing. So in earlier, the verses I read in Exodus 19 and in Ezekiel 16, when he says, if you keep this covenant, you'll be a treasure to me. Or if you, uh, I gave you a covenant and you swore to me, And I made you my people. That was him using the book of the law is the covenant. If you keep these laws that I have laid forth for you, you will be blessed amongst the nations. So it's not just keep this small portion. They had to keep the entire thing and do all that it said. And they told him in Exodus 24, they told God, the people of Israel, they said, hey, this covenant book, which we see is equal to the law, which is equal to the Torah, the Torah that you gave us. It says we'll be obedient. They told him we're gonna do it, and they probably told him because they were scared out of their minds. If you read it, like what was happening there, the people were scared. They they were not like what a blessed time in praising his name, and they were scared out of their minds. They were backing away, like they, they were like back up, everybody back up, like from the mountain. And Moses had to go up there by himself because the people were afraid. But but no matter why they said they would obey, whether it was fear or whatever. Uh, they did say it. And God said, that makes you my spouse, my wife, right? That's what that's what God said. Uh, and so we find, right, that in Isaiah 54 and 5, and I'll read it. It says, for thy maker is thy husband, and Yahuwah of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the Elohim of the whole earth, shall he be called. So we find here that God likens this covenant with Israel. He said, if you keep this covenant, you're going to be mine. He he tells them you're mine, which means the, co- the covenant has been made. And he likens that to being a husband and being a spouse. And Paul talks about this too. If you If you go into the New Testament, I'm not really going to get into Paul's writings because I think that the there's so much there that can be a teaching for another day. But uh, Paul even talks about this. He, he refers to the covenant and us, our relationship with God as like a bride, right? We're the bride of Christ or, uh, you know, he talks about mysteries and he talks about husbands and wives and then he ends it with, this is how our relationships work with the Messiah. And, and he equates this concept of covenant entering a covenant with God to a marriage covenant. That's that—that's what he calls it. And that's why we find marriage terms, right? Jeremiah 3 and 14, it says, Turn, o backsliding children, saith Yahuwah, for I am married unto you. So I'm your husband, you're my wife. And I will take you, one of the cities, and two of the families, and I will bring you to Zion. So here again, we just see God saying, that I'm married to you. The, the, the book of the law that they promised were their marriage vows to God. That's what the covenant was. It was saying, if you keep these laws, then I'll keep you. And if you don't, I'm going to have to divorce you. And we find that he does end up, God does end up issuing divorce to the people of Israel and saying like, I'm done with you because you didn't keep my covenant. He waited a long time. He sent a bunch of prophets, and in the end, they still didn't do it, and he had to divorce them. And then Yeshua came on the scene. He died, and he said, "I'm renewing this thing." Like I said, the new moon analogy, right? I'm renewing this thing and this covenant, and we are now back in covenant with God. And we love, we love to talk about this new covenant, right? I've heard that I'm under a new covenant. I, I. Grew up in the church and I was always preached that I'm under a covenant with God. But when you ask or you get into studies about what the covenant is, uh that's where I think we start to lose uh meaning of, of the covenant, right? And when we just start talking about saved by grace and and things like that. But but no no no, it's a marriage covenant, and we took some vows, and those vows are the law of God. The vows were the law, the law of God, the, the book of the covenant is equal to the book of the law. So the Torah, which is the book of the law, the Torah is our covenant with God. It was the covenant for the Israelite people with God. It was their marriage vows. And God thought that those vows were so important that when they were not adhered to, he divorced the people for not keeping up their end of the bargain. He divorced them for not keeping the covenant. Now, how much sense does this make people? How much sense does it make And I'm going to break it down to you in marriage terms so that you can understand. If you're married to a person, you have a spouse. And that spouse is not holding up their end of the bargain and you divorce somebody. And then you end up remarrying later. Let's say that like Elohim said to Israel, you committed adultery with your idols. So let's say your spouse committed adultery. You have a biblical uh, uh, reason to leave this person and you leave them. The next person you marry, are you going to allow them to cheat on you too? Are you going to allow them to continue to cheat on you? And you're going to say, I hated the last spouse because I married them and they continually cheated on me. So my plan is to remarry a new person and just not care when they cheat on me. I'm just going to stop caring that they, that my new spouse doesn't uphold the covenant. If someone said that that was their plan, you'd be like, I don't think you should get married. Like you might want to rethink this. Because when you remarry a person, you should enter a covenant with that person too. You should enter vows and each of you should uphold your marital vows and be faithful to each other. That's what you expect of your new spouse. You expect, I've married you now. I expect that you're not going to cheat on me. And I expect that you're not going to commit adultery. And if you do commit adultery, I'm going to leave you just like I left the last person. That's a logical thing that happens in marriage in our world. So why do we think that God loved the covenant so much that when it was violated, he left the people and his plan was to send his son to die so that the people don't have to keep the covenant that was so important to him before? It just doesn't even make any sense. If God was to do away with his spouse, And say, you're gone because you committed adultery. So his plan was to send a person that allowed people to continue to commit adultery. What? That doesn't even make sense. But every time Christians say, I am not under the law. When you say, I am not under the book of the law, which is the book of the covenant, the covenant that God makes with his spouse, what you're saying is, I don't have to uphold the covenant that God finds important. The marriage covenant, Israel violated it and got kicked out. And you think that that just all of a sudden changed? That when you became the bride of Christ, he just said, all those things that I said you had to do to stay in this marriage, I'm sending somebody to keep you from doing them. You don't have to do those anymore. That is the same type of person that says, I'm going to remarry. But when my spouse cheats on me, I'm just not going to care anymore. That same person that you would say, Well, buddy, I don't think you should remarry. We might want to talk about it. That's unhealthy. That's what you say God does when you say we are no longer under the covenant. You're saying that God sent his son so that we don't have to keep the covenant. That's what you just said. I'm not under the law. That's what that's what people say. I'm not under the law. We don't have to keep those laws. That means you're in a marriage with a person and that person's just not supposed to care that you don't uphold the covenant. That doesn't make sense even with humans. And when you put it in God terms about a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then if he thought it was so important that he would divorce his people, I have chosen you. I have set you apart. You are mine. I'm in a covenant. He tells them, for all the earth is mine and you're a peculiar treasure within that earth. We just read that in Exodus 19. That's what it says. That I own all this earth, but you're my treasure. Right? That's what it says. And I I, I find you so amazing and I love you and I cherish you and I'm going to give you everything. And then you cheat on me and you commit adultery by, by going to other gods and not following the commandments. And I divorce you and now I have to... But I still want people to dwell with me. I still want people to be saved. I still want people to know me. And I still want people to be covered by the blood. So I'm going to send my son. And he's going to die. And he's going to cover you and make up for the fact that you committed sins against me. He's going to cover that fact up. And he's going to remarry you. And you're going to become the bride of the Messiah. You're the bride of Christ. And we are now in a covenant. With the Messiah. That's understood. It's understood that when the Messiah came and died, we became the bride of Christ. And again, like I said, I understand. If you're new to this whole thing, you might need to message me later. But really, what I'm speaking to is I'm speaking to Christians that already have some base root and understanding of of how this works. And I think that generally it's understood in the church in, in America that we are the bride of Christ, that we have entered a covenant with the Messiah. But what is that covenant? That covenant is grace to to allow us to commit adultery and not do the things written in the Bible. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that the Messiah came to cover us so that we can continue to violate the covenant. And if you say, I don't have to keep the laws found in the Bible, then that's exactly what happened. The Messiah came to do away with it. That's what we say. He came to, he fulfilled it. One, you don't understand the word fulfill, that that doesn't mean abolish. And, oh, by the way, Yeshua even says in the same sentence, I've came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And you'll say fulfill means abolish. But in the same sentence, he says, this is not an abolishment. So that's the first point. You don't understand what the word fulfill means. But if we're saying that he came to fulfill that law, so we no longer have to keep those things, then you're saying that God's plan of this marriage was to allow the bride to commit the adultery that the last wife committed. You can now, they didn't keep the commands. They didn't do it, so I'm divorcing them. And my plan is to send my son so that you cannot keep the commands. What are you talking about? You lunatic. That is so nuts to think that a man would divorce a woman because she commits adultery, and his plan is to marry another woman and allow her to commit the same. You can do the same thing as my last wife, but under this new covenant, I'm just not going to care that you don't do those things. That doesn't even make sense when you just talk in normal terms. And when we're getting into spiritual things, a God who established things from the beginning, a God who established a marriage covenant that was so important to him that he divorced his beloved. Now, if anyone out there has ever been through a divorce, you know they're not fun. They're not pretty. So God put himself through this pain of divorce, the hurt, the agony, and the prophets in the Bible. Look, look up Malachi and, and how God cried out to him, Please, please start celebrating my feasts. Bring the tithes back to the storehouse so that we can celebrate these feasts. Please return. He agonized and he longed. Isaiah Jeremiah, All of them, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he cried, please, please keep the covenant. Please keep this marriage covenant. It's so important. God's going to leave you, don't you understand? And these prophets clamored and they screamed and they yelled and they beat their chests and they did weird things like preach naked on their side and dig tunnels that popped up through the ground and on the other side of the wall. And they did all these things to try to attract the people and, and tell them, you got to return to this covenant, which is the marriage covenant between us and God. He is our husband, and our marital vows, our our book of the covenant, is our marital vows. The book of the covenant is the Torah. The Torah is your is our marital vow. The Torah is the marital vow between God and the Israelites. And He said, "Please keep this, so I don't have to leave you." Please, and it was a bitter divorce. And it was painful for Elohim, and he hated it, and it, and that, and and he allowed prophets to experience some of this, and and you know Malachi uh, brought that up because it, it talks about you know the wife of your youth and how she committed adultery, but he still loved her, and all the things that you see, and you think that that pain, that bitter, bitter pain of divorce, that the solution. To that divorce, to ensure that he doesn't have to divorce his people again, was for him to send somebody to die so that marital vows no longer matter. That is a bunch of malarkey and it makes absolutely zero sense. Zero sense that a covenant that important is just done away with, and now I can marry somebody who is allowed to continue to do the things that I hate it. I hate what you're doing, Israel, so I'm going to send my son to die so that the new people that believe in my son can continue to do the things I hate. I don't get it. I don't get it. The Torah is still your marital vows between you and Yahuwah. The Most High Yah, the creator of the universe, said, I'm going to send my son, the Messiah, and you will be his bride. And when a bride and a husband get together, there are vows exchanged between him. So what are our new vows? We say, oh, it's just love. Our new vows, we just have to love. That's all I have to do is love because I'm under grace, so I can do anything else I want. And that's what we say. But that is the exact same thing that Israel said. They said, I can do whatever I want. They did not keep the covenant and they got divorced because of it. They got kicked to the curb and it was bitter and it was ugly and there was death I mean, babies and stuff were dying, livestock was dying, crops were ravished. I mean, if the worst of the worst that you can think of happened to these people because they did not keep their marital vows with their husband. That's a pretty big deal. And you think that that just doesn't matter anymore. That we're allowed to continue to do the things that got the other group thrown out. You are still under the same covenant that they were under, the children of Israel. The marriage covenant was and always will be the book of the covenant. The book of the covenant are your marital vows. When you said, I do, just like the people did in Exodus 24 when they said, and we will be obedient. When they told that to God, they were saying, I do. Just like you do in a marriage. They said, I do. And God said, okay, here's our vows. Those vows are still your vows today. See, the Messiah came not to remove the marital vows and just make vows not matter. He came and gave us a spirit. All right, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Check this out. Jeremiah 31 and 31. And uh, I'll read to verse 33. It said, Behold, the day comes, saith Yahuwah, that I will make a new covenant. This is the new covenant. So you want to know, Right? Jeremiah 31, so the earlier parts of Jeremiah was him telling them like, yo, I'm divorcing these people. And then we're getting here toward the end of Jeremiah where he says, I'm going to do a new covenant. So if you want to know what your new covenant is, if you want to know what your marital vows is and what it's going to be according to Jeremiah, when what he prophesies is going to happen, he tells you here what your marital vows are going to be. So this is the new covenant that we love to talk about and say that we're under a new thing. I'm going to tell you what this new thing. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That includes us. It's a whole grafting in thing. Don't get caught up in dispensationalism and think that the church is separate from Israel. Paul clearly tells us we're grafted in, all right? So that's, again, another lesson for another day. But I'm going to make a new covenant. This is the new covenant he's going to make with the house of Israel. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So I made a covenant with their fathers, right? We established that. It's the book of the law. In the days that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith Yahuwah, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So here's the new covenant. So it's, he said, your fathers were given a covenant. He said, your fathers were given a covenant. And then he said, now here's the the new covenant. This is what it's going to be. After those days, saith Yahuwah, I will put my law, I will put Torah in their inner parts, And write it in their hearts, and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. So the new covenant, the the new, now that we're remarrying, when the Messiah comes, I'm going to marry you again, and I'm going to make you a a bride again. And here's what that covenant's going to be. It's going to be the Torah in your inward parts. That's what that word law means. Look it up in Hebrew. It's the word Torah. Don't get fooled and think that the law applies to one law or one thing or an old thing. That's Torah. When it says, I will put my law, what he's saying is, I will put the first five books of the Bible in your inward parts. That's how the Hebrews saw it. That's how God sees it. And we we understand that too. But we lose the meaning of what that means. I will put the Torah in your heart, he says, and you will be my people again. So the new marriage vow... The new marriage vow he's going to take with Israel and the house of Judah will be allowing them to go back to the original Torah. That's the new vow. It's the same concept, like I said, with the moon. It's not a different moon. It's not like he did away with the moon and there's a new moon now. And that's why we call it the new moon. It's a restarting of the cycle. So he said, you disobeyed the Torah, you disobeyed the covenant, you disobeyed your marriage vows, so I'm going to divorce you. But don't worry, because I will remarry you, and when I remarry you, it will be different. Because this time, the Torah will be on your heart and in your inward parts. And you will be my people. The Torah will become a part of our lives. And you think that you don't have to keep the Torah. That's what you think. Oh, it's... it's The the new rule is, is he just puts it in our hearts. So it's just about love. It's just about what we have in our hearts. The Torah says don't eat pork. The Torah says on the 14th day of Abib, right? That there's festivals. There's things to do. There's Sabbaths. There's a law on how to handle when a donkey falls into a hole. Right? And these principles of Torah that exist are written On our inward part, the new covenant is putting the Torah back in place because it was violated in the first place. Because it only makes sense that if you marry somebody and they cheat on you and you divorce them and then later on you get back with that person and you say, okay, I'm sorry, you're sorry, we're all sorry, let's get married again. You're not just going to get married to them and allow them to continue to cheat on you you're going to remarry that person and you're going to expect that they keep the covenant that was originally established. The first time we made vows, you broke them. The second time we make vows, I'm going to expect you to keep them. He still expects you to keep the vows. The vows are the Torah. The covenant that you have with him is the Torah. It's written on your heart so that you may walk in his statutes and keep his laws. If you remarried a woman who cheated on you or a man who cheated on you, you wouldn't remarry them and just not care if they continue to cheat on you. You're going to say, I'm going to remarry you, but if I remarry you, I'm going to expect that you uphold the vows this time. That's common sense. But we think that the Torah doesn't apply to us anymore. And people all the time, they don't want to look at the Bible for what it truly says. The Bible is, you have the Torah. Then you have a bunch of prophets telling you to return to the Torah. Then you have a guy come on the scene and die for your sins and cover the fact that Torah was violated so that you can get the Torah put back into your heart. That's literally what we just read, people. That's literally what we just covered. The Torah making, here's the Torah. Here's the covenant. The book of the law is the covenant. Do it. Israel said, okay. Israel got divorced. Christ came on scene. He died, the Messiah died, to put Torah back in our hearts. That's what we just read in Jeremiah 31. Because any man who marries an adulterous woman and says, I forgive you, is going to expect her not to be adulterous the second time. Or you're going to be pretty ticked off. You're going to be even more ticked off than you were the first time. And you're going to be mad at yourself. How did I allow myself to marry someone who's just going to cheat on me again? That's what you do. That's natural progression. And God likens it. I didn't come up with the husband analogy. God says. We read it, right? He said it even in in here in Jeremiah. We read other verses. There's tons of times we know we are in a marriage covenant with God. The covenant that you are in is the Torah. So you don't keep the Torah for salvation. You keep the Torah because that's your marriage vow. When you say, I love you, God. When you say, I am your bride when i i am the bride of messiah you're saying just like they did in exodus just like they did in exodus 24 you're saying i will be obedient you're saying and israel has to say the children of israel the bloodline the actual physical bloodline they they will start following torah again that's that's what is going to happen that's jeremiah says it so that's what it is. And that covenant that we are under is Torah. So when you say I don't have to keep the Torah, what you're saying is I don't have to keep my marital vows with the Messiah. That's what that's what those are equated to. They're equated to marital vows. And you think that it doesn't apply? You think that it just changed? Why would it change? What would be different? If you married a woman who cheated on you, you wouldn't expect the vows to be different this time. You wouldn't say, "Well, I got to do different vows because she's not going to be able to keep it. You can't keep it. She can't keep the vows obviously. She didn't the first time." So, I'm just going to my new vows are going to be different this time. This time I'm just going to say it's love only. Just love only because she's not going to do any of the things that I find important. That is an unhealthy relationship. And that is not what Elohim established. He said these are this is my covenant. The people said, we'll be obedient. And he says, if you're obedient, you'll be a treasure to me. You're not in his treasure. You're an adulterous person if you're not keeping the law. You're breaking the vows. If the children of Israel got kicked out for breaking the vows, why would you think you're any different? Why would you think God puts you in a different category? They got kicked out for not keeping it. So I don't have to keep it now. What? Wait, what? Well, the Messiah died. He died to abolish the marital vows. He died so that we can be adulterous. And I know what you're saying. Oh, well, you know, that's why Paul said, shall we sin that grace may abound? So no, obviously I don't go on sinning just because I'm under grace, right? That's what you would say. You would go right to that in your mind, in your Western mind, because that's where my mind would have gone. Because I, too, once had your thought process. That's where my mind would have gone and say, well, yeah, Christ did away with the marriage vows, but I shouldn't just sin because I'm under grace. Well, that's exactly my point. You shouldn't break the Torah. You shouldn't break the marital vow just because you're under grace. See, you've been lied to and told that that doesn't apply to you. But when you look at it from a common sense point of view, I'm not, this isn't even apologetics here. This is just straight common sense. If you remarry somebody who committed adultery, the second time you remarry them, you're going to expect that they keep the original covenant of not being adulterous. You're going to expect your spouse to keep the original vow. You know, it's, you. it's Yes, you do new vows. You do them over again. But you're going to say the same vows you said the first time. It's the same vow. It's the same thing. Christ came so that we may have a new marriage contract. Because they were kicked out. But it's not new. It's the same vows. And we're still expected to keep that vow. The Torah is your marital vow to Elohim. See, that's why Yeshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's like a husband saying, my wife loves me. How do you know she loves you? Because she kept the vows. She kept the vows. But Yeshua said, if you love me, that's Jesus. For those of you who don't know, Yeshua is his real name. Yahshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, meaning my bride, my spouse. I love you and I've died. I'm dying for you. I'm dying so that you can be remarried to me. And now that you're my spouse, if you love me, you'll keep the vows this time. That's what, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments means. It means if you love me, Israel, you'll keep my vows this time. You'll keep them this time. It's not, if you love me, we'll do some new vows and change things and do away with the need to have vows. That doesn't make sense. We are still in a marriage contract with the Most High, and that contract is found in the Book of the Covenant. The first five books of the Bible. That is your marital contract with God. And when you say that it doesn't apply to you, you're saying, I don't have to keep my vows. Yet a whole nation was destroyed for doing exactly what you say you can do. You say you're cool, yet the only example we have of someone who said they were cool is the person who got kicked out. Israel said, we're cool. We don't need to keep that anymore. They got kicked out for it. That's the one and only example we have of what it means to not have to keep the Torah. No, you're not under the law. Okay, I'm not under the law. Let's find the only example of people that thought they weren't under the law. And it's Israel and they got divorced for it. They got divorced because they thought they weren't under the law. They thought it didn't apply to them. And yet you say that every day. I'm not under the law. I don't have to keep the law. I don't have to keep the Torah. I don't have to do those things. We'll turn to the Israelites and see how that worked out when they said that very same sentence. They got divorced, they stopped becoming the people of God. They went after other gods, and they got kicked out for saying the exact sentence the Western Church says is part of their doctrine. Your doctrine contains The same sentence that got somebody else kicked out of the promised land and a whole messiah thing and all these troubles and struggles from divorce came about because these people didn't keep the covenant. And you say that you don't have to keep that covenant knowing that the example given you was a person who didn't keep it and got kicked out. That's the example you've been given of what happens to people who don't keep the covenant. They get kicked out. If you don't keep your marital vows, you might find yourself getting kicked out. That's why when Yahshua came back, he said, Some will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, Depart from me. I never knew you because you didn't keep the vows. You want to be a part of this marriage? You want to be the bride of Christ? Keep my vows. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep the law. When Messiah returns, he says, Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. And people will say, well, I'm not lawless. Well, I thought law referred to Torah. Well, it does. Do you keep Torah? Well, no, I don't because I don't have to. Well, then you're lawless. Now, if you truly are saved by grace and the Torah is done away with, then being lawless is okay. You can be lawless as in, not lawless as in like, you know, murdering people and stuff, but you can be lawless as in not keeping the law, not keeping the book of the covenant because you're under grace. Then why does Christ say, Depart from me, those who don't keep the law. Because he's saying, those who don't keep the marital covenant cannot be my bride. If you are going to be my bride you and say that you love me, you will keep my commands. This is the covenant that I make with you. And when you say, I believe that Christ died and rose again on the third day, and he is the son of God, and we do these whole, uh, you know, leading people through the, the salvation prayer. This salvation prayer we say is you basically saying, I will be obedient this time. I'll be obedient. You're entering a marriage contract. The contract, through the example of Israel, we find out that the contract happens to be the book of the covenant. The book of the covenant is the covenant, the marital vows that he made with his people. And they got kicked out for not keeping it. Yet you think you don't have to keep it. Look to the example that you're given. Is there any example of a person who said, I don't have to keep the law and God said, you're cool. Don't worry about it. What person is that? What Bible example is that? When did he ever say, oh, it's cool because I'm going to do a new thing. Don't worry about it. If that's the case, then what the heck was God doing when he divorced Israel? He should have just stayed married to him and then let Yeshua come and die. And sure, I just, I never had to divorce you because I just knew I was going to clean it up and then it wasn't going to apply to you later on anyway. Why would you kick somebody out when you knew that in a couple thousand years, that's just not even going to matter anymore? Why would you throw your wife out your house for something that doesn't matter? If a man kicked a woman out for whatever, like you forgot to cook me dinner. This was the last straw. Get out of my house. And then you didn't require the next person who came in to cook dinner. The person who got kicked out would look and be like, what the heck? What are you doing? I got kicked out for not cooking dinner yet. Your new wife doesn't have to cook dinner. That's dumb. And everybody would be like, dude, that was pretty weird for you to divorce your wife and then allow your new wife to do the exact same thing your last wife did. I mean, people wouldn't even understand that. They would talk about him behind his back. They would, I mean, there'd be all kinds of bad stuff going on. But that's what you say happened. That's when you say Christ died and abolished the law. That's exactly what you say happened. You're saying he remarried us and now we're allowed to do the stuff that got the last wife kicked out. It doesn't make sense, people. It breaks down in even a common sense manner. You see, when Christ came on the scene, he died so that Jeremiah 31 could happen. So that the Torah could be placed in your heart and you could enter the covenant, the renewed one, doing a new set of vows, not different vows, just redoing it because the last guys broke it. So we're going to redo these new vows and I want you to keep them this time. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my vows. My bride... That's what Yeshua says. I am your husband and you are my bride. If you love me, please keep the vows. Please keep the marital vows. And the marital vows just happens to say you can't eat bacon. Oh, and by the way, science says that it's bad for you too. But it's okay because you're not under the... You, you don't have to keep your vows. You're different. You're special. Man, that that sounds like the lie from a devil, right? That's what he told Eve. The devil told Eve. He said, "Don't worry about that. You don't have to do what God says. You're special. You're different. You can do you can eat that if you want to." And that's what you that's that's so you say, "I can violate those laws if I want to. I don't have to abstain from eating pork. I can violate that if I want to." That's exactly what the devil told Eve. "You can eat that. It's okay to eat." It was <laughs> it was a food thing. Are, are you kidding me? And now you're saying that that food thing, the same trick, don't worry, eat this, it doesn't matter. You're saying, don't worry, eat pork, it doesn't matter. And and I, I pick on pork just because it's a common, uh, understood thing that you can't eat pork, right? That it's not kosher or whatever, you know, like that's why I use it as an example. But really what I'm referring to is the whole book of the covenant. I'm referring to the entire law. You have to keep all of the laws that you can. You have to do your best to keep those laws, because those are your marital vows. The devil told Eve, eat what you want, it doesn't matter. And you say those same words when you say, eat pork, it doesn't matter. You're using the same words that the devil used. And you're saying the same thing Israel said when they said, I'm not going to keep this covenant anymore. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And we saw the example in 2 Kings 22 and 23. When the priests found the book of the law and brought it to the king, the king forced everybody in the nation to start keeping the law. And God said that king was a good king. The king who reestablished the law was a good king. The king who got did away with the law, when you read the book of kings, the kings who don't follow the law that don't follow the covenant are called bad kings. The kings who do follow the law are called good kings. Yet you think your king came so that you don't have to follow the law. The examples set forth in the book of kings were those kings who did away with the law were evil. If Yeshua came and did away with the law, he's evil. He's a bad king. According to the Hebrew perspective, according to the examples given me, the Yeshua came on the scene and said, I'm here so that you don't have to keep the law. According to the examples given, he's a bad king. But if Yahshua came on the scene and said, what is this book of the law you found? Oh, snap. Stop everything. Get back to this. Well, we found in 2 Kings 23, that was a good king. That was a good king because he found the law and he reestablished it. So Yahshua, who is the The law made flesh, the word made flesh, came down and died. Why? So that you could enter a new covenant. And according to the example given, if he is a good king, he would have reinstituted the Torah. Because that's what good kings did with previous example. And those Israelites that kept the law were good and listed as righteous. Look at Abraham said, he walked in my statutes and kept my law. Look at the whole hall of faith. You read all those dudes. David, right? David was a man after God's own heart. And then you read Psalms 119 and you see that that whole Psalm is all about the Torah. David absolutely read it. Read Psalms 119. And where it says law or word, look at the Hebrew definition of it. It's it's actually the word Torah. It's a love letter to Torah. David loved the Torah. That's why he was a good king. Psalms one nineteen is his love letter to the Word of God, which is the Torah, the covenant. His love letter to the covenant. That's why he's a good king. Yeshua was no different. He loved the Torah. He loved it, and he wants you to re-enter the covenant because he is a good king. Do not follow the example of the wicked Israelites who forsake the law and said it didn't apply, getting themselves divorced and kicked out. Because you, Christian, if you do not keep the law, you might find yourself on the wrong end of the stick when the Messiah comes back. And you'll have a hard lesson to learn before you're able to walk up into the millennial kingdom. And you're going to barely make it in. Some of you are going to get heads chopped off, persecuted, destroyed, beaten. And then you're going to wake back up in the millennial reign or the second judgment or whatever, you know, white throne of judgment. And then God's going to be like, did you learn your lesson? And you will be like, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I'm going to keep the covenant this time. And, and you don't want to get told, to part from me those who did not keep my marital vows. You don't want to get told that. If you love Yahshua, you will keep the commandments because a good spouse upholds the marital vows. A bad spouse gets divorced. A good king establishes the law and brings it back to the people. A bad king leads the people away from the law. These are the examples that we were given. The Torah is still applicable today and is still a requirement according to your marital vows with Yeshua. This is not a new moon. It's a renewed moon. It's starting the cycle all over again so that we may walk in his statutes and keep his commandments. Look at Joshua 1 eight through nine, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. So how do you get prosperous? By meditating on the law. Okay. And then thou shalt have good success. How do you get good success? By having the book of the law not depart from your mouth. The book of the covenant, the covenant, which is our marital vows. By keeping those and meditating on those, you'll have good success. Have not I commanded thee? God says, didn't I tell you? I told you it was important. So what are you talking about it's not important? What are you talking about it doesn't apply to you? Didn't I command you? Didn't I say this is the covenant? This is my marital vows? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For Yahuwah, thy Elohim, is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Joshua tells us that this book of the law is what brings us the good success and the prosperity. It's conditional by meditating on it. Why? Because that is your vow to your husband. That is your covenant covenant. And when you say that it doesn't apply to you, it hurts God just like it hurt him when it caused him to divorce the children of Israel. It hurts him. It hurts him when his people are adulterous. And his plan was not to take his adulterous wife and divorce her and then establish a new covenant that allowed his new wife to break the same laws that the old wife didn't do. That wasn't his plan. His plan wasn't to allow you to do the things that he didn't allow his last wife to do. That he just stopped caring. You would say that that person has psychological issues if he did it in real life. But that's what we say every day. Please repent, church. Repent and return to the Torah of God. Return and keep your marital vows. Because it hurts him when his when his wife, when his bride doesn't do what he commanded him to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he said. Keep my vow. He desperately wants you to keep the Torah and to keep the marital vows and to keep the covenant even today. It did not go away. Why would it? Why would marriage just change? Marriage is different now, guys. It's different. No, it's always been the same. You never want your spouse to cheat on you. You're not just going to call Congress and have them relight, rewrite the law of the land and allow adultery to take place so that it doesn't matter anymore when people commit adultery. You're not going to do that. You're going to remarry a person and expect that they keep the vow that they were originally supposed to keep. I forgive you, but I still expect that you don't do it again. And that is what is expected of you. please, please. Stop violating your marital vows and keep the Torah. Keep the law. Keep the Moadim, the high holy feast. Celebrate Passover, not Christmas or Easter. Stop worshiping on Sunday and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because these are your vows with your Messiah. And I know that a lot of this, some of it, people are saying this guy's lost his mind other people are saying that that rings true. No matter what the case, I know that you'll have questions and you might not understand all this. And I'm going to give you some advice and then I'm going to leave you. This is what I did. When I was coming to this truth, when I was coming into understanding, so I went to a Seder dinner, which is the Passover dinner, and I just saw the Messiah all through the whole thing. And as we were leaving, it was about like an hour drive home, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, hey wife, like, I don't understand why we do Easter. I don't understand why we have bunnies and eggs when this whole time we have this celebration that points to the Messiah. I don't get it. So I started researching and I started looking it up. But I didn't read commentary. And that's where you're going wrong. You're reading commentary. You're letting men tell you what to do. What I did is I pulled up an article that said I'm no longer under the law. And I didn't read any of it. But I wrote down every verse that that person referenced. And then I pulled up an argument on the internet. I just Googled it. Are we still required to keep the law? And then I looked up those who said yes and those who said no. Those who said yes, I wrote down all their verses. Those who said no, I wrote down all their verses. And I didn't read a single one of their words yet. I just looked at only the verses they referenced. And then I went and read those verses for myself. And it became really clear to me very quickly that I was wrong. (laughs) That we were still required To keep the Torah because the Torah is my covenant with God. That is my marital vows. And I encourage you to do the same thing. If you don't think I'm right or if you do think I'm right, just go look up articles from each side of the story. Don't read what they wrote at all, but just take the – like if they reference Matthew 5, 17 through 19, just write that down. And then you keep them in the little two columns and then just go read those verses for yourself. And then draw your own conclusion based off of it. And it will become abundantly clear when you look at it that the new covenant was to reestablish the old covenant. It was to bring the Torah back and put it back into Israel's heart so that they keep it the second time. See, the first time you didn't keep it. That's why it's different. The first time I gave you a covenant and you didn't keep it. The second time I'm going to give it to you so you can keep it forever. That's the difference. That's the newness. So I encourage you to do the research. I cannot be the guy who reads the Bible for you. I'm not going to just sit here and tell you the Bible says keep the Torah and then then just run on with my life. You have to read it for yourself. I'm going to say that. You're going to have to study it. Because if I just say it and you take my word for it, you're not going to stand strong. You'll You'll be like the man who built his house on the sand. So you have to get it for yourself. You can't just let me tell you, and then I go about my life, you go about your life, and we both just keep the law because I said, don't listen to me at all. Read the verses that were referenced. Look it up for yourself and read the verses before you look at man. Don't go to your pastor and say, hey, pastor. I mean, you can't go to your pastor. Please do not get me wrong and say, he told us not to talk to our pastors. That's No, no. I understand that your pastor has authority over you, and I understand that you're going to want to talk to him, and I understand, and you probably should. What I'm saying is before you allow the words of that person to just tell you and then you just take their word for it, anyone who tells you, I said this, now therefore you should do it, that's a person you shouldn't even follow. So I'm not saying don't talk to your pastor. What I'm saying is before you get the words of men, get the word of God, get the Bible, read the verses and draw your own conclusions. And then you can go to other people and say, all right, now here's what I got. What do you think? And you can use other people to help refine you. But if they bring up something contrary to the word to say, no, 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 it's different now. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, it is different. Like what I get all the time is they say, oh, there's a difference between moral moral, and ceremonial. We only have to do the moral ones. I get told that all the time. And some people just straight up stop seeking the law because they'll be like, oh, oh okay, I get it. That's what it is. There's a difference. So, you know, murder's still bad, but, you know, Passover is not a requirement. I get it. But if you read the verses... Instead of listening to men, you would see that that verse doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. There's no distinction. That the book of the covenant is equal to the book of the law. The book of the law is equal to Torah. Torah is equal to your marital vows. Torah is what is put in the hearts of the people once the new vows are made. According to Jeremiah 31, 31. That's what it is. It is the Torah is a requirement even now. But, Read the verses for yourself, people. Study it. And don't just let a simple sentence that is untrue speak to you. Ask them, what verse is that, pastor? What verse did you find that in? If he says, well, here's the verse I read, then you go take that verse and you go read it for yourself. And I guarantee it's not going to say what he said it says. I, I mean, that's just... Anyone who comes to a conclusion that there's a difference between moral and ceremonial laws has never read the Bible because there's just no distinction. Right? But we make those distinctions. So please read the Word of God for yourself. Study to show yourself approve and realize that you are still required to keep the laws of God as a marital covenant to your spouse. What are your questions? Let me know. Hit me up. I'm on Facebook at The Art Being. I'm on Twitter at The Real Art Being. You can email me at theartofbeing at gmail.com, but in the word being, there is a three for the E, that is the art of, the letter B, the number three, ing at gmail.com. And email me your questions, your concerns, your hate mails, your love mails, whatever you got. And let's talk about this and let's grow together and let's let the word of God speak for itself and not follow blindly after the traditions of men. I love you guys. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And I guess I'll see you next time. Bye.